with purely, you know, quantitative strategy, it is the, the truth is all in the numbers. And design-led strategy offers the ability to take that human-first approach. So whether that's the the customer, the employee, or any stakeholder really, and developing the strategy around them. So to some people that can seem a little bit fluffy, but it's actually a lot more holistic. So you develop that quantitative and qualitative view in order to make a more you know strongly informed strategy. Welcome back to Creators Calling everybody. My name is Matt and I am your host. This week's episode is about business design with Ben Thomas at Accenture. Today's conversation, we will be moving through Ben's experience in business strategy at Deloitte Digital to CBC, where he also led their digital product strategy. And then we're going to move into what he does at Accenture right now in business design. If you're unfamiliar with business design, we're essentially talking about business strategy and digital media and how these two connect together. So Ben is also going to be sharing some knowledge regarding building empathy, learning how to leverage that skill for empathy to be a professional friend for clients, for coworkers, and any other professional relationships you have. And also along this career journey that we're going to go through, Ben is also just going to tell us a little bit about how to embrace ambiguity and how to be a leader that's willing to de-risk situations at a time when data is changing so, so, so quickly. Very relevant. Grab your pencils and papers. There's lots of deep knowledge in today's conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Consulting is just a beast of its own. The analytical skills that I was talking about earlier, data analysis and whatnot, those really helped as a foundation, but this is a lot broader. With consulting, it introduced a lot of new dimensions. So there was sales, the technical knowledge, the the world of stakeholder management. And that's just not for clients, but also stakeholders within our own company. Truly being able to take ownership over the direction of your career and managing ambiguity. And you hear about that so often, but I can't stress how, how real that is, especially in the consulting environment. When I was at Deloitte in particular, they really empower analysts to define what their own career path is. So that's aligning to a certain industry, aligning to a specific product or a team that uh, you think you would like to work on a string of projects with. And coming into it, you're not essentially equipped with all the knowledge. It's on you to go out and network with people to understand the lay of the land, to uh, research all of the uh, materials that are, that are available to you in, on the internal portals and really um, get those fa- the foundation down yourself. The onboarding will get you into you know how to use the system and how performance management works and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of the projects and the work you want to do, that's the onus is on you to figure that out. And your career counselor is there to help out, but ultimately, uh, unless you take the initiative, nothing's going to happen there. So it was me that chose to move into specific industries, do the type of work that I was doing and align myself and prove myself to some of the leaders that were in that space that were driving those changes. So it's not exactly one particular example, but that's how uh, the the ambiguity and the self-starter attitude applied across the board, especially at at a firm like Deloitte. And I think, you know, that attitude is incredibly important, especially for those that may be 
in the creative fields or wanting to take their own ambitions in their own direction, given that you're talking about the importance of really putting yourself out there and taking the lead to champion yourself, for some, this can be very daunting and a bit of a, a, a scary task at first. How did you overcome that when you were first thrown into Deloitte? How did you really build that confidence to really get the most out of the experience? Uh, to be frank, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I was not familiar with the with the technical side of things. Uh, I came in like most business school students thinking there were, you know, anything and everything they wanted to be. And, you know, uh, once again, as much as the, the practical nature of Ivy helped me, you know, apply my knowledge effectively. It was an entirely new beast it, it coming into digital consulting, digital strategy, product strategy. And it was learning the hard way by making a lot of mistakes up front, uh, pivoting frequently, aligning myself to a few mentors relatively early on that were able to, uh, you know, move me into the right path accordingly. And I would say it's just developing those right relationships early on was really impactful because if I was just doing this myself uh, without any guidance, then, you know, I, I don't know how long I would have been spinning in the, in the way that I did. So there, there are a few leaders that really helped me out and, and course correct along the way. We always think about the DIY attitude or entrepreneurship as this sort of lone wolf attitude, but really you, you are seeking guidance and having mentors to, to help you develop yourself to the fullest that you can. I think that's really important. And to the point about, to the point about making mistakes, you know, that, that's so much it aligns with the idea of rapid prototyping, just making mistakes, reiterating as quickly as you can in order to get closer and closer towards the final objective. Mm -hmm. And I would say that even when it came to my approach and reaching out for mentorship, I made a lot of mistakes up front as well. Just the way I presented myself, the way I was a little bit, you know, overconfident coming into it. But you know, so many people I feel are open and willing and excited to be a mentor. So also just approaching them in the right way with, with humility, with curiosity, all of that is, is just as important as, as the work you do yourself. When you're approaching them with humility and curiosity, could you give an example of what that looks like and what that doesn't look like? Mm -hmm. So in terms of humility and curiosity, I think that, especially if you're going to someone who is, you know, super sought after, for example, they're probably getting a lot of the generic questions about just their field in general, what they do, all of the stuff that you're going to find, you know, online. So I would say come in with that foundational knowledge, whatever it is, and prove that not only are you looking to learn, but you're in a position you've equipped yourself to be a self-starter as well. So you come in with a bit of baseline knowledge around what, what the industry is, what the product is, or maybe you've you know looked them up on LinkedIn to understand their history and you can find a little bit of common ground there. I'd say that that was super helpful. In terms of what was not helpful and what was not right about that approach, I'd say... Um, just 
again, coming in a little bit over overconfident, coming in and making that mentorship relationship seem very transactional because ultimately a mentor is looking to grow in their own ways as well. And they need to see that through guiding you, they can develop a certain skill set. So, you know, uh, don't come at it as simply, especially in a, in a consulting environment, it's not as like, uh, I, I want to align to you so simply you can get me on these projects, but rather so that I can be someone who helps you reach your goals as well, enables you, empowers you in those same ways. And it's a kind of a symbiotic relationship. It's a very human-centered approach. It's not so much about the actual career or the, the task responsibilities. It really is just about, you know, do we vibe? Can we, you know, can we, can we, can we be professional friends almost? Mm, absolutely, yeah. Is that someone you want to send an article to and just bounce ideas off of, but also at the same time, can you go out for a drink with that person? You know, you need to kind of assess it across the spectrum. We're social beings, and I think that really does um, take the nerve off for some people. Because I think a lot of people almost look at, you know, a, a mentor that they want as like some sort of trophy item. They <laughs> they want to get that off the to do list and you know make that a, a completion. But really, it's it's long term as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Back to Deloitte Digital. You were working in digital strategy, architecture, you were touching mobile products, agile delivery. What did you discover in regards to working with these major Fortune 500 clients? For those that may not be as familiar with the management consulting field, why do clients seek out the support of management consultants? So if you think about the nature of change to oversimplify things um, in the business world. You'll typically find startups that are driving disruption on one end, and then you'll see legacy companies lagging behind in the status quo on the other. And in the middle, you have consulting firms that are understanding and internalizing those changes and bridging the gap between those ends of the spectrum. And with Deloitte Digital, it may sound a little bit absurd, but it started when the idea of digital was just emerging and it was becoming essential for companies to have a digital presence, whatever that meant. So that could have been, uh, you know, website design, mobile app development, and more holistically, the overall digital strategy. So clients are looking for direction in exploring what that unknown really meant. And especially, especially since the leadership at those firms especially, essentially spent the vast majority of their lives in, a, in an analog world. So it was about giving them confidence and moving them in the direction that all of their competitors and the rest of their industry, as well as consumers, were embracing rapidly. It's almost like an additional support system that is overseeing what's going on in your industry. And so when things need to change, you know you have someone that you can call on for support to help you pivot accordingly. Mm -hmm. Of course. And I think every consultancy's goal is to become that trusted advisor. So whether it's strategy, whether it's product design, whether it's implementation, um, depending on 
who the consultancy is and what their capabilities are. But if you can establish that advisor, that trusted advisor relationship, then it's less about let me take on this small functionality of a project for you, but rather let me help you navigate change and complexity and, you know, just move you forward together. So you thought the work in banking was super exciting, but eventually you would choose to take the next step in your journey and work with CBC. I imagine this compared to back while you were in university, there may be a bit more of a calculated sort of approach to why you made this career transition. So walk us through what it was like when you were at Deloitte and decided that you you were ready to move into something new. Uh, honestly, I'm I'm just fascinated by the media and entertainment industry. I'm a longtime musician. You can see my drums back there, actually. Um, I've always loved the CBC brand and what it's done for Canadian culture, so particularly CBC Radio. And the move struck me as an opportunity to mix that business skill set with my passion. And I had a great run at Deloitte and gained so much from that amazing network. And like I said, I developed some some of my best friends there, um, some great mentors, but I was simply looking to explore new and different challenges. So banking was great. It was something where uh, I was given a challenge. I jumped into it wholeheartedly and found it super interesting, but I was looking to get into a space where, you know, my heart already was and see what it would be like to, to blend those worlds. So for some people, you know, they kind of imagine their life going as, oh, I found my passion or at least what I know I'm interested in straight out of high school. Now I'm going to go to university. Now that I'm done university, the seemingly logical step would be to enter that industry that I initially felt my heart was placed at. Um, Sometimes that doesn't work out, but can you walk us through kind of what it's like working at a firm to first develop skills before then transitioning into an industry that you're passionate about? What are the pros? What are the cons? Hmm. So what I will say is when you're in business school, you're, and this is not a knock on business school by any means, but you're kind of conditioned that you need to follow a predetermined set of career routes so you're consulting, you're banking, you're uh, accounting, you're marketing, etc. And what you hear constantly is that consulting is very much appropriate for people that want to remain generalists, that want to be have exposure to so many different industries and challenges and not kind of lock themselves in. For someone in my position, I really didn't know what the best career path would look like. Uh, I come from an immigrant family and growing up really wanting to pursue the arts, it was not something that seemed to be on the table. And um, at least in a, you know an artist capacity, that's what I was kind of conditioned to believe. So that's why it always remained a, as a bit of a side project rather than a, than a career. Um, so similarly coming out of university, I was like, okay, I don't fully know what I want to do. Consulting will let me hold off that decision for a bit longer, but also help me, you know, 
develop a lot more marketability, develop a foundational skill set that's going to be valuable uh, once I do decide what to pursue. And it's funny because if you go to almost any job posting that is, you know, mid upper level management, the criteria will be, you know, X amount of years in consulting or X amount of years in banking or X amount of years in that particular industry. And I think that there is a, there's a, it's almost a global understanding that consulting and banking helps develop those kinds of global skill sets that are applicable for everything else. So in that way, I think it was super valuable for me to take on that role and move down the path that I did. Um, but eventually moving into something that I was a little bit more passionate about, that was just a, a way to say, okay, I convinced myself for so long that I can't mix those worlds. Let's see what it's like. Let's see what it's like to see the business side of the arts and, um, you know, what new opportunities I would present to me. So it was moving away from a position of being, you know, conditioned into a predetermined set of paths and just exploring. So you moved to CBC, you are overseeing the product strategy. Now you are working at, within an industry where your heart lies, you're ready to see how business and creativity really come together. You're playing with emerging technologies like over the top streaming, video services, connected vehicles, conversational interfaces. Everything seems to be lining up. What's that experience like? Well, there, you could dissect this into a few different buckets. One side would be just what is happening within the industry as a whole. And then the other side could be what is happening within CBC in particular. And within CBC in particular like most broadcast slash traditional media companies, huge existential crisis because they've spent a hundred, however long years in the world of broadcast media, terrestrial media. And that with that comes a certain set of operational procedures, cultures, like everything that, that comes with it. And like many traditional businesses, going through that disruption is just, it puts everything into question. There's a, a concept of organizational debt, and it's similar to the idea of technical debt, which is, you know, you've been doing something a certain way for so long, and it may not be what is going to set you up effectively and efficiently for the, the change that is required to stay relevant in your industry. And that is something that CBC, like most traditional companies, are played with. And now you're coming in saying, what does a full pivot look like end to end? So that was just, there's so many challenges that came with that, so many really cool learning opportunities that came with that. And this consulting skill set really came into use there because as I was helping the team move towards digital, it was almost a similar advisory type role. So you need to have that empathy and understand how people were have built their careers on a model of yesterday. And you need to help them transition in a very thoughtful way. And uh, th that advisory, um, trusted advisor perspective that I had mentioned before around consulting was really impactful there. 
And then when you think about the industry as a whole and all the changes that were happening, it was just so much fun to explore uh, all those new technologies. Like you said, um, OTT video, conversational interfaces, all that. So we were just going through a series of experiments to see what stuck with all these changing consumer behaviors and habits. And I mean, that, that was super exciting for me because it was blending that uh, yet another world of all of the exciting tech with the business skill set with um, the media industry where my passion was. So I found it just invigorating. You're spending your time at CBC. You've really been able to pour yourself into so many interesting new technologies, watching a team grow, flourish, and adapt themselves to this new future. Eventually, you decide to transition back into the client services side with Fjord, now Accenture. How was your role at Accenture different, and what sparked you to make the transition? Mm -hmm. So going back into consulting, what was different was kind of the flavor of the role. So both uh, existed in the realm of consulting, Deloitte and Accenture, they're you know, direct competitors. But I went from digital strategy and implementation to towards innovation and design. So the latter is further upstream and deals you know, common thread throughout all this with a little bit more amb ambiguity. So you have these very opaque problem spaces that can be, you know, you, they can be mitigated by so many different types of solutions, whether digital or not. So uh, on top of that, like I mentioned earlier, the nature of the work at Accenture and Fjord has brought a lot more humanity to, to what I do. So every recommendation needs to be not only substantiated by, you know, quantitative analysis, but also very clearly addresses a set of, uh, of human needs and, and desires. And that more rounded approach just brings a lot more confidence to decision-making as a whole. That's interesting because my presumption from, you know, working from, from what I imagined working in the media industry to be like would be that it would be very human-centered because you're working with content that is you know, created by humans, enjoyed by humans, and it really reflects this idea of the human condition. And that's sort of the quote unquote product that we're, that we're moving within the media industry. But now you're saying that um, working more in product design and innovation on the client services side actually allowed you to be more human centered. Can mm -hmm. you compare and contrast how that, how that looks like? Um, so I would say that when it comes to your most forward-looking digital media companies, they are a lot more rooted in human behavior and insights and whatnot. So there's always these like infamous stories about how Netflix makes its content decisions. So it will use metadata about people, uh, about their existing catalog, as well as their understanding of people's behaviors and consumption patterns to say, okay, people like these six elements of this show. They like watching it at this time. And this is the way they like to see it released. So is it uh, all at once or is it spread out over a month or two or whatever like that? And then based on that data, they will commission content accordingly. But with traditional media, with broadcast media, for the longest time, it's evolving now, but for the longest time, 
it wasn't rooted in all of that. It was rooted in, you know, you have a few people that have made some good content calls in the past. You rely on their wisdom and intuition and judgment to drive you forward in a similar way. Not to say that they don't have some great stuff that they put out regardless, but in terms of it actually being human centered and rooted in human needs to, to whatever degree you'd like to kind of define that, I would say that, um, content decisions weren't exactly in that space before. So the media industry is evolving as a whole and is moving towards that path that we were talking about, but the traditional space was not nearly, um, not nearly in that realm. You described your role with Accenture as the most relevant way to achieve the desire of bringing creativity into the job. You talked a little bit about human empathy and being able to apply that to the innovative solutions that you're working on your job. But where does that fulfillment of creativity come into play? Um, so in terms of creativity, the way we work is we'll, we'll identify some of the major challenges and pain points and, and whatnot that customers and other stakeholders face when they engage with, with a client, with a product, with a service, experience, etc. Then we get into a phase of ideation. So in ideation, we're essentially conceptualizing all of these different future states for the client. So whether that's a new product entirely, whether that's a set of features, an operating model, et cetera, the nature of being upstream in an innovation function means that we can really explore all those white space, that, that white space of opportunities. And that really leverages creativity and right brain thinking. For example, if I were to work with a financial services company, and uh, I'm working on an investment product, for example. And the challenge is that people want to feel confident in their you know, investment decisions. That in itself is a very broad upstream challenge. And there's so many different ways that you can address that. So you can have an advisor call the customer to offer them guidance on their decisions. You can have celebrity investors record a video giving customers reassurance. You can visualize all these future growth opportunities and the app UI, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the luxury of working upstream is that you have that wide breadth of creative possibilities. And another thing that really helps is that within design, within innovation, you have people from very uh, diverse and different backgrounds. So, Going back to what I was saying before, if you had a bunch of business school students that all came up through the exact same path in consulting, uh, in the same industry, doing the same things, you have uh, a limited set of solutions and, and, and trains of thought that come into generating those creative solutions. Whereas um, design typically has people from all different backgrounds or people at Accenture from healthcare backgrounds, from public sector, from all over. And that diversity of perspectives contributes to a diversity of solutions. So that's uh, just one of the opportunities where you can get super creative in, in what we do. You're really selling the, <laughs> the opportunities of pursuing a career in management consulting, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second and ask what has been the biggest challenge about working, you know, in this area of white space and innovation. Yeah. Yeah. So 
if you were to think about the, the ideation, the conceptualization of all of those cool future state opportunities, the other side of that is bringing the client along for that ride, selling that work, and ultimately implementing that work. So if again, if you're to think of the nature of the clients that are seeking out consulting services, it's typically the people that are you know trying to catch up. It's your lar- larger legacy companies that are um, just not not at all that they're struggling to stay relevant, but they're not the ones really uh, pushing the agenda as much as your you know smaller, nimble startups would be doing. So when they're in that position, when they are caught up in a bit of that organizational debt and their their performance is tied to quarterly revenue, for example, a lot of these bolder, riskier ideas typically take a bit longer to manifest into you know, tangible financial results. So as much as we recommend all of those solutions, the ones that actually graduate into, uh, you know, fuller, more wholesome, robust business initiatives, that's where things start to dwindle out a little bit and where you see the most challenge, in, in my opinion. So if you're okay with coming up with all of these ideas, but appreciating and knowing that not all of them can become a reality, I would say that's uh, how, how you kind of balance that perspective out. Now that you are working with you know, some of these much more larger established companies that have all these structures in place that make it harder for them to pivot towards the solutions that you may be proposing. What are you seeing in this post-pandemic world? What are the sort of trends that you're finding with clients? What sort of projects are you taking on now to help them reshape themselves for the future? Unfortunately, I can't speak to this too much because we're kind of in it at the moment. Just at a high level, I would say that there are three kind of trends that we're seeing in uh, the the pandemic space and how it's affecting consulting work as a whole. So three things are around risk appetite, like uh, continuing off off that point I was just mentioning, Um, a... I would say like a reprioritization of initiatives and also finding some kind of stability in the data. So if I start with first, so risk appetite. So at a time when many businesses are just struggling to keep the lights on, it becomes harder to justify taking some of those risks into new opportunity areas. So we've seen a subset of really innovative companies use this as an opportunity to reinvent themselves, but it's only understandable that others are, um, you know, a little bit more bureaucratic and don't have the same stance. So that risk appetite is definitely the first one. Um, second, around reprioritizing initiatives. I guess this the the biggest focus here would be around digital. So while virtually every company has some type of digital strategy and agenda. We've seen everyone scramble to try to shift around their investments to accelerate that digital transformation. So this is, this is a trend that we saw coming, but no one anticipated that it would be accelerated in this way. So 
there's a huge uptick in demand for development and implementation resources to bring products to market right now. And clients typically don't have that kind of horsepower internally, so we'll lean on um, consultancies to, to get that done. And then finally, um, around finding stability in the data. So early COVID, we conducted this exercise where we forecasted a few different scenarios for how the pandemic would turn out. So whether by now we would have flattened the curve, saw a second wave, a few other scenarios. And we worked through how we would help address challenges for our clients across all of those different scenarios. But despite that, we see that the data is just changing so rapidly across all of the scenarios that it becomes increasingly difficult to have confidence in longer-term decisions. So trying to um, establish you know, a healthy balance between being comfortable with that uncertainty, developing a culture that can pivot quickly based on that, on how the data emerges, and also empowering employees to and customers to come along for that journey is just an exciting challenge for all, all of us to tackle together. Talking about building this culture of really rapid pivot, pivoting and almost experimenting at times when you know the data just keeps changing. What does that look like? So that means taking de-risking experiments and de-risking investments and the, the projects that you take on. So something that anyone who's familiar with experimentation and agile and all that tech, the tech world has completely internalized that. And it's just standard practice today. I would say that that mentality and uh, cultural nuance has not yet expanded to other parts of the organization, but we're finding that small bits of experimentation, even beyond tech, even when you're trying out new elements of an operating model or the way that uh, a small team and pod functions and taking smaller chances will help say at a time like this, where things are so uncertain, where risk is heavy, where you're under the gun, if you're able to take a 10th of your budget and just allocate that towards something that, uh, you will get incremental insights from, then you need to kind of show and prove. And so uh, we, we've been really pushing that message down of uh, multiple small incremental experiments to get little bits of incremental insights to fuel your strategy. And it's not perfect, but in the absence of uh, you know a full-fledged incubator, that we would potentially implement at a client's operations, you need to give them tastes of this methodology so that they can you know, get their feet wet. Now is a time of adaptation and experimenting, and that, that must be very exciting, not only for yourselves, but for the clients and the customers as well. I mean, it's exciting to me. I would say that it's a lot scarier for, for clients because... You need to kind of rewire your mind and convince yourself that it's like in investing one on one. You know, when people are all scared and pulling out of a out of a specific space, and that's kind of 
throwing a stock price all over, that's when you make your strategic moves and you jump in and you know you you, uh, you seize the opportunities. Similarly, it's about giving our clients the confidence and empowering them to move in that same direction and say, while everyone is taking a status quo conservative, you know, fearful approach right now, be the leader in that space. Take a small risk and let it accumulate into something a little bit more meaningful so you can stand apart. If someone can see themselves in a career in business design or digital strategy, what would you recommend they do to get started today? So there's so many resources you can actually look out for to get like a baseline set of knowledge. So I would say really get a good grasp uh, grasp of what these fields are. So there are resources like Luma Institute, like uh, Board of Innovation, Coursera, even where you can, where all great, cheap, sometimes free resources to understand the methodologies and tactics in the space. Um, the Business of Design by Roger Martin from Rotman is essentially a must-read for all business designers in particular. So I'd say just do the legwork, do the reading, establish some kind of foundational knowledge in that space. And also something that's really helped me is setting up uh, a cadence, a very healthy cadence of reading and analysis. So um, I used to do quite a bit of writing on Medium. And what I would do is take something that happened in the business or tech world, distill it down to a few key bullet points, and then really dig into the implications. So for the consumer, for the human, for the employee, what does this piece of news do for uh, people's behaviors and patterns? And then on the other side of that, for businesses, what does this mean for the strategy going forward? Uh, how might uh, competitors respond to this as a result? Where do we forecast the market to go as a result of all of this? By doing this consistently, it helped develop uh, a muscle memory for me to distill, digest, and analyze news. Um, not only to be more informed for myself, but just to be a better consultant, advisor, even you know a friend. Because at a time like this, when there's so much mis and disinformation, it's nice to be equipped with the skill set to be able to navigate through all of that. So I'd recommend getting into a habit like that for anyone interested in the space. Um, a few other things I'd say, once you have that foundation, really start building your network. So reach out to myself or other people in the space to provoke some thoughtful discussions. And the question we get the most is, you know, what is design thinking? What is consulting? And, Really set yourself apart by doing some of that groundwork and then reaching out thoughtfully with more you know, focused questions. And then um, probably the last thing, not least for sure, is you know, embracing the diversity of, of your profile. Like I mentioned earlier, the design world really encourages and welcomes people from multidisciplinary backgrounds so that all of the you know, quote-unquote innovation is a lot more fruitful and divergent. So tie it all together in a meaningful way and you're essentially uh, already the ideal candidate at that point. Well, sounds like a lot of homework for our listeners, but a lot of very valuable knowledge that you just delivered. Ben, right before I ask you my final question, I just want to just wrap it up for our listeners. You know, We talked a lot about the importance of building empathy and leveraging that. And I think for those with the design background, they already have a good grasp of what it's like to be 
a professional friend to your coworkers and, and to your clients and to those that you work with. We also talked about the importance of embracing ambiguity, really championing yourself, putting yourself in that position of being a leader, willing to de-risk solutions at a time where all the, the quantitative data sometimes just is changing too fast to really rely on it long term. Finally, we also talked about the importance of being a human and understanding that every single person is incredibly diverse, including yourself, and knowing that that makes you really special and makes you a standout candidate. My final question for you, what would you tell your younger self? Uh, I'm going to sound like such a stereotypical millennial here, but like be present. Meditation is huge for me and I've only really taken it on consistently over the last couple of years, but it's helped me more than anything else. So, you know, we're in a time where we're constantly inundated by stimuli from any and every direction at all times. And it's totally chaotic. And as someone who, you know, loves to analyze and plan, that could easily become, you know, crippling. But being present really allows me to work through the noise. It allows me to appreciate my, my circumstances and direct my energy and effort into the experiences and relationships that really matter the most to me. So something that may resonate particularly with you know business school students is that you're taught, again, that you need to follow that certain set of paths. And that might, might apply to many other types of um, students as well, you know, consulting, banking, accounting, marketing. It's easier, easy to lock yourself into one of those paths without really grounding yourself in, in what you need. There are many people that are, you know, my age that are five, six years out of school and going through a bit of an existential crisis right now. So, you know, what is my identity beyond my career? How to get, how do I navigate through all of this? And, you know, I obviously don't have all the answers, but being present through meditation has really helped me reflect in such a meaningful way. And I think it's never too early to start. So my advice to my younger self, be present, be aware, appreciate, and um, just know yourself. Ben, if there's anywhere where our listeners might just want to learn a little bit more about you, perhaps read what your Medium articles are like and see what a good, strong, thoughtful analysis looks like, how could they reach you? Uh, you could just look me up on LinkedIn, Benjamin Thomas, uh, at Accenture. That's about it, yeah. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Great, thank you. The Creators Collective is devoted to empowering GBDA and MDI students in their creative explorations. Keep creating and join the conversation with us on social media because the world needs your creativity right now and we want you to bring it to life. My name's Matt and I've been your host for this episode of The Creators Calling. I will see you next time.